I noticed something as we're singing that song. I noticed a lot of young people happy in the Lord. Maybe they'll cue some of us older ones in too. It wouldn't do a bit of harm. Do you know it's the most economical thing in the world? Somebody said it takes 65 muscles or so to frown and only 17 to smile. You know, uh, it's economical to serve God, isn't it? It's easy on our own faces, and bless your heart, it's easier on others. You know, when I look down into some audiences' faces, and I think, my, my, look at how those poor hearts, they're having a hard time. You see, they're worrying about everybody else's salvation instead of claiming promises. And then they go scolding people and wondering why that doesn't work. Like one man came to me at the close of one of my services, and he said, he said, Elder Kuhn, I see what's wrong with me now. He said, I've been working for the Lord like the devil. <laughs> and then reports it as a missionary visit <laughs> the next Sabbath morning. Isn't that something? Well, let's ask the Lord, dear Lord, make each of us a nail on the wall to hold a picture, thy picture, in its place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime after my wife and I had that wonderful $6,000 answer to prayer, I decided I was going to do a little book of promises, a little tiny workbook. It's long since been out of existence. It was entitled God's Choicest Gifts. And I said, the thing that's going to bother a lot of people are these conditions. A person must have faith, for Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. And that turns people off at once. And you notice I got studying it over? I found this. We're all born in a package deal of which faith is part. Romans 12, 3, God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. When you came into this world, faith came with you. We, keep, we can strengthen it by using our faith muscles, if you don't mind my using that expression. I like to think of faith as a muscle and doubt as a muscle. The more we use the faith muscle by talking faith, the more faith increases. The more we talk doubt, the more doubt increases. It's that simple. That's not all of it, but that's part of it. Everybody born in this world has faith. That's what the Bible says. That takes care of that. We have a whole lesson on eight ways to increase faith. You'll want to study them. Each lesson of our ten in the envelope there deals with hang-ups to prayer. And one of the hang-ups is people say, well, I don't have faith, so there's no hope. Remember, you do have faith. Everybody is exercising faith every day of his life in the regular routine. Well, then let's just turn it toward God the same way. We have it. Let's use it. That's one of the conditions to answered prayer. You like it? Another condition to answered prayer is Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So it's not to regard iniquity. It's to repent of iniquity. Can you repent of iniquity? Can you hate iniquity? No human being of himself can hate iniquity. But this is what he can do. He can go to the Lord and say, Now, Lord, you've said in Acts 5, 31, speaking of Jesus, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance and forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to fulfill your promise to give me repentance for cherished sin. 
because I cannot let go of church sin. Sin is a trap. The Bible says it is. Jesus said to the Jews, he that sinneth is the what? Servant of sin. Sin is a trap. It grabs. And anybody that comes along to somebody and said, look, you must quit that, you know, he is a legalist if he presents it that way. I cannot quit sin. You cannot quit sin. You cannot let go of sin. Sin grabs. Sin is a slave driver. But there's a way. I can claim God's promise to give me repentance, to help me to hate sin. Genesis 3.15 goes with it. When I was a little boy attending church, it's wonderful how God helps little boys. My oldest brother came home and preached one day on Genesis 3.15. It was a beautiful thing. He said, God told Satan in the hearing of Adam and Eve, I will put enmity, Satan, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He said, I, I understand this is a messianic prophecy, and all that most people see in Genesis 3.15 is that it is a messianic prophecy. My friends, it is a messianic prophecy. It's the first messianic prophecy, probably. But it's far more than that. God was telling Adam and Eve, as he was pointing to Satan and looking to Satan, God was saying, Adam and Eve, I will give you the ability to hate sin and Satan. I will put enmity between the devil and the human race. So when you can't hate the wrong thing, when you can't give up that cherished sin, don't struggle with that sin. Come to the promises of God and say, Lord, you've promised to give me repentance for that cherished sin. I can't let go and it won't let go of me. And God says, look, if the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus Christ comes along with his gospel and he frees the will that the devil has trapped. Satan infatuated and hypnotized, practiced hypnotic power on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Our favorite author says. He tried to do the same with Christ. When Christ gave the word of God, he stopped the devil in his tracks. Now, when a person is hypnotized, he is to be brought out of this hypnotic trance. Adam and Eve became slaves of the devil. Jesus said in Genesis 3.15, I will make it possible for man to come out of this hypnotic power of the devil, whether it's a hypnotic power of appetite or sex or some financial sin or whatever it is. You cannot let go of it. And it will not let go of you. But Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. The gospel is the power of God to let the prisoner out of the prison house. You see? This is why all of this scolding religion, all of this belittling religion that tries to shake people up and bring them to their senses and make them ashamed of their past, all of this has to do with carnal weapons. When I use my words to shame a person into doing right, I'm using man's word when I should be using God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, sin-freeing word. See the difference? So I'm not going around telling people, you know, you've got to quit this. They've known they should quit it. The Holy Spirit has told them to quit it. Instead of my telling them to quit it, I'm saying, listen, the Son of God will set you free. He said so. In, uh, in, in Isaiah 61, 1-4, Jesus quoted it. In Luke chapter 4, 18 and onward, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel 
to the meek or the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The gospel lets the captive, sets the captive free. Jesus is the deliverer, not you, Jesus. You can struggle with that sin and be sin conscious all the rest of your life and you'll end up in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and onward. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. The thing I don't want to do, I do. And the thing that I want to do, I can't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what happens when people are all the while going into orbit around sin. But when they come to the next and they say, Oh, who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What are we saying? We're saying the gospel frees the will. I'm just as free to pray that God's Holy Spirit will free the will of a backslider as I am to open my Bible. The devil will, the devil coerces the will. God frees the will. Every once in a while people come to me and they say, do you think God will force a backslider not to be lost? I said, bless your heart. I've never seen a backslider in his right mind ever in my life who's, who says, you know, man, I'm so eager to be lost I can hardly wait for hellfire. Backsliders are not choosing to get into hellfire. They're not choosing to be lost. They're not saying, you can't keep me from it. I just, I, I can hardly wait for the flames to come. That is not what the backslider is, is dealing with. The backslider is listening to the devil who says, you can fondle sin a little bit and you're safe. But the minute he fondles it, the devil said, you're lost. So the battle of the backslider is one of hope. Can God still forgive me? Is there still hope for me? And the devil says there isn't. And a lot of Christians say, you know, you're going to hell. And the Christian works for the Lord like the devil. We should be saying, brother, if the Son sets you free, you can be free indeed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Make him the Lord of your life instead of being come sin conscious and evil habits conscious and vice conscious. Be Jesus Christ conscious. Who is he? He's the Lord of life and glory. Who is he? He's the creator of the human race. What did he do? He spoke the world into existence by the breath of his mouth and he's creating new hearts today as he did down through the ages. Jesus sets men free from the thraldom of the devil. Aren't you glad for it? So that little sin you can't give up. Stop trying to tinker around and try to wrestle with that sin. You can never do it by wrestling with sin. You'll do it by saying, Oh God, you've promised it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 13. And then you can cry out, I can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4, 13. You see, the gospel is God's power. What a disservice. We Christians do to God when we go around telling people, you must straighten up. They can't straighten up. But Jesus Christ is in the business of straightening up lives. Thank you for it. We have several other conditions in our lessons, 12 at least. There are others beside. But I want to share with you tonight how a couple that were married and the young man was infatuated and they were really re reunited. How this thing works. 
And you'll want to listen attentively and prayerfully because many people have misunderstood what we're saying. My friends, claiming Bible promises as God tells us to is no hokum pokum. This is merely taking hold of God's willingness and doing what he told us to do. He told us to ask, so I have a right to ask. What do you say? Jesus told us to believe, so I have a right to believe him. What do you say? And Jesus said, believe that you receive, and I have a right to receive when he told me I can. And that's not hokum pokum. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it represents the willingness of Calvary. A young man was working at a hospital, and he became infatuated with a 19-year-old girl. The young man had a wife and two children. And uh, he wanted to be consistent, bless his heart. So he told his wife he's going to divorce her. You know, some of us <laughs> thoroughbred Pharisees, we have, we have marked out how other people have the right to sin only as we sin. And we say, now listen, you must sin the way I sin or you better stop sinning. So we have categorized certain sins as being so much worse than ours. And in the process of doing it, we've made ourselves Lucifer's holier than thou. And we've made infatuation with the opposite sex as the one of the most terrible things. Did you ever stop to think Satan wasn't put out of heaven because he fell in love with a woman? And he wasn't thrown out of heaven because he ate pork. And I don't eat pork either. My wife and I are both vegetarians. He wasn't thrown out of heaven because he ate a beefsteak. He was thrown out of heaven because he acted like the devil. And that was, I will ascend. He was a holy devil, quote, unquote. And you read the story of Satan's fall, and you'll find the whole story was, I am better. But he did it in a clever way. We must be careful how we look down on somebody else who doesn't sin as we sin. For all have sinned, and the wages of sin is what? A couple of our deacons went to see this young man. <laughs> I call them 19, 1898 deacons. <laughs> Not modern deacons, because they, they use the carnal weapons of scolding and belittling and legalism. You know, you must quit this. I say, that's, that's rancid. You must quit something that you can't quit. You must tell a prisoner, you must get out of this prison cell. I say, that's horrible. What do you say? He cannot get out. He needs somebody to come with a key. They scolded the daylights out of him. Reported next Sabbath as a missionary visit. They worked, for the, they worked hard. They sweated. Worked for the Lord like the devil. We heard one day that I didn't know anything about this. The day I heard, I got a hold of a young minister. I said, Let's, will you go with me to visit this young man? I said, I want to share with him a new kind of prayer. <clears throat> I'd done my workbook. One page in the workbook had how God gives us hatred for sin. And I put Genesis 3.15 there. God gives hatred for sin. And listen carefully. When I did that workbook and I put Genesis 3.15 there, the idea of sex sins never entered my mind. It was all sin, you see. So 
Don't get the impression that we're using Genesis 3.15 and, and twisting it around. Genesis 3.15 fits any sin you can't let go of. God will give a hatred for any sin, any deviltry, you see. So I went down with him, the young man, and I said, uh, I've got, I, I, I don't want to scold you, and I don't want you to feel ill at ease. I've come to help you. I haven't come to belittle you. I said, if I show you how you can find victory, will you understand that in no way am I trying to belittle you? He said, I understand. I appreciate very much your coming. But he said, I just want to say this, that I, uh, I don't want to break off with a girl. I said, I found a new kind of prayer based on how many promises? At least 3,573. And the A is what? Ask. Who said that? Anytime you hear people saying, I'm studying Kuhn's promises, you tell them I wasn't even consulted. They're God's promises. B is what? Believe. Believe whom? Believe God. Not just so many words. They're God's words. And I said, I've learned that you can ask and believe and thank God you've received because the gift is in the promise. And I said, you can break off with this girl right away. He said, well, thank you for coming, but I don't want to. And you know, that stumped me. You know, it's good to be stumped. I found one of the worst things for professed soul winners is to know too much. And when he said, I don't want to, I lifted my heart to God. I said, Lord, what do I do now? And God gave me Philippians 2.13. It is God that will work in him both to will and to do. I said, Lord, in my heart, I said, thank you, Lord. I'm asking and I'm believing and I'm claiming because you've told us that omnipotence cannot resist the prayer of God's children for any tempted, tried member of the body of Christ. This man was a tried, tempted member, but he was a member of Christ's body. He was infatuated, ready to leave his wife. He was still God's child. Don't you thank the Lord for it? And I believed it. I claimed a promise for wisdom, James 1, 5, before I went to see him. I claimed 1 John 5, 16. And I claimed Genesis 3.15. Now I claimed Philippians 2.13. In a matter of five minutes, the man turned to me and said, You know, come to think of it, I believe I am, I am willing to break up if that isn't working fast. It doesn't always work that fast. If you want it to work fast, learn the seven laws of communication. You'll find them in the book, Please Pray. And I'm telling you, my friends, we wrote none of these books from the angle of money. We wrote them from the angle of helping our people across America and other lands to know that God hears prayer when we fulfill the conditions of communication. When you pray for a soul, you can cancel it all out by the wrong communication. She said, I'm ready. I said, but he said, she'll never break up. I said, she'll break up tonight. And by the way, only three times in my life have I ever given God a deadline. Never do it unless you're absolutely sure the Holy Spirit's directed. Always leave the how and the when to God. But the Holy Spirit impressed me. I said, she'll break up tonight. <laughs> he, he said, how do you know? I said, I'm going to claim a promise. And I claimed the promise from my workbook. Now, listen attentively. The promise was that God would put enmity in our heart for any sin. And as I quoted it to him, it fit. It says, it'll put enmity between thee and the woman. And when I, when I quote it, Many people think that I put it in thinking that that's what it referred to. It refers to that and everything else, it's, but it's between the devil and the church, you see. It's between the devil and the human soul. God gives us hatred for sin, including sex sins. 
And he knew I didn't mean it the way it sounded. I meant God would give him hatred and would help her to turn off. And he said, I know she won't. I said, I know she will. <laughs> they lived about 15 miles away, this girl. I said, let's go. You want to go? Yes, he said, I'll go. But don't think she's going to break up. I said, no, I, I don't think so. I know so. <laughs> and on the way, he said, if, if she doesn't, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to scold you. Blame me. Now, remember, this only happened three times in my life, so don't make that the rule. Every rule has exceptions. On the way down to the place, the devil got in the car. <laughs> he said, Coon, don't you know you have no right to make a deadline? I said, I know I don't as a rule, but this is the exception. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit tells us to do it, we're safe. And we better be sure he's the one that tells us. When we got down to the house, it was rather late. They'd all gone to bed. And I could see the young man was greatly relieved. He said, they've gone to bed. I said, they'll wake up. I bounded out of the car, ran up the front porch, and I knocked on the door, and I claimed a promise. Knock, and the door will be opened. <laughs> I don't mind your laughing at all, because it's true. And the promises were made for our practical use. And any door that needs to be opened, God will open in the answer to the prayer of faith as it's needed. Lord, I ask and I believe and I claim this door will be open. I heard a gruff voice inside. He said, who is there? I said, a minister. I wanted him to know it wasn't a holdup. In fact, the two of us ministers, we've come to the young man to straighten things out between him and the young lady. He said, she's going to bed. I said, she'll wake up. And I claimed a promise. Seek and ye shall what? What is wrong in claiming a promise that fits what you need? People, you know, people got an impression the Bible is sort of something for somebody else. This book is for you tonight for your problem. The promises of this book are for you. Our favorite author says, a man is not a true learner unless he takes this word to himself as though Jesus were speaking to him. Then don't I have a right to do it? I not merely have a right. I have a sacred, beautiful, delightful duty. Lord, you're telling me. He said, she's... She's going to bed. I said, she'll wake up. He said, Alice, will, are you willing to get up? She said, yes. I said, thank you, Lord. Just exactly what I expected. When you ask God, expect him to do it. Don't pray some of these old prayers that say, Lord, I ask you to do it, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to. And God doesn't disappoint that prayer. And that man didn't expect anything, so he doesn't get anything. The Lord said, I'm giving you exactly what you expect. You expect nothing, you'll get nothing. You expect me to do something delightful, I will do something delightful. What do you say? This is our delightful God. She got up, dressed, came out, opened the door, in walked the young man, the young minister, and I. <laughs> I sat down. I claimed the promises. What was one of them? James 1.5. Why do you claim James 1.5? For wisdom. No human heart knows the exact condition of another human mind at any time. Salesmen know it. They say a man, a businessman, if you meet him in the morning or at night, makes a lot of difference. So only God can tell us just how to meet, meet this person. He'll give us rules, seven laws of communication. But within those, just the right sentence. And I was asking God for wisdom, and I was claiming 1 John 5, 16, and I was claiming Genesis 3, 15. That's the gospel. God will do it. He's been doing it. He's not quit now. 
And I, and you know, I felt impressed by the Lord. Treat her like a princess. You mean, you mean treat somebody who's infatuated like a princess? Yes. Why not? How come that, that a person who is infatuated is a demon and, and I am so wonderful? Since when? Hosea 2.14. Christ and Hosea went down to the slave market where Gomer, that prostitute, was sold on the slave market. And Hosea, the Christ in Hosea said, I will do what? I'll do what? I will allure her. Allure a prostitute? Jesus will, yes. But the modern religious Pharisee will not. I'm not going to... But that's Jesus. I will allure Gomer. I will speak comfortably. Hosea 2, 14 and 15. Isn't that wonderful? And the Lord said to me, you do as I did. You speak kindly, as though you were in the presence of royalty. You are in the presence of royalty. She is God's child. The fact that she's fallen does not make her God's child any less than it was before. She's God's jewel. She's God's princess. Never forget the woman of Samaria. Never forget Mary Magdalene. My friends, they are placed in the Bible for you and me, particularly us Pharisees. And I spoke, and I bent, I, 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 I almost kowtowed. Here was a princess of God. Shouldn't I treat her like she is? Shouldn't I be honest? And I smiled and I said, we have come in the interest of this young man's home. He has a beautiful wife and two lovely children. And we wondered, if, in the interest of the home, if, if you would be willing to break up. And you know what she said? Surely. She said it so quickly that the young man's mouth opened just like a trap door. And I think the young ministers did, and I'm all but sure that mine did too. God answered so quickly, <laughs> we could hardly believe it. It was like the church praying for Peter in prison, you remember? And Peter was released, and he knocked at the door, and Rhoda went to the door, and she came back while they were praying. She said, Peter's here. They said, Rhoda, please don't bother us. We're, we're praying for Peter. But she said, but Peter's here. They said, no, Rhoda, this is a sacred thing we're doing. We're praying for Peter, who is in prison. He's to be executed in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that about just like us? And little Rhoda, thank God for young people. Little Rhoda said, he is here. No, he isn't, Rhoda. Yes, he is. <laughs> oh, Rhoda, I don't know what's wrong with you. We've got to prove it by going out and opening the door. And that was Peter. <laughs> so I was amazed, and the young man was amazed, and the young preacher were amazed, was amazed. All of us were amazed. And the young man was so taken back and so surprised because she told him she was going to commit suicide. <laughs> he was just silly enough to believe it. I knew he didn't rate that much. And immediately he said to her, I've loved you for a long while. <laughs> and she said, I know it, but we're through. <laughs> oh, my. And he said, but really, my love has been sincere. It was sincere as best he understood. Why belittle him? Why make fun of him? The man was merely trapped by the devil. He didn't even plan to be infatuated. He had no idea of being infatuated. You know how it came about? They were working there at hospital, and they got to joking a little bit. He went, a little tap on the shoulder. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That started it. And then she tapped him on the shoulder. First he knew he had his arm around her. And then he said, I love you better than anything in the world. He's not to be belittled. 
He had no idea of being mean or cussed. He said, I've loved you sincerely. I know it, she said, but we're through. He said, if you ever need me, let me know. She made clear to him she didn't need him. What did she need of him with two children? She could have her own. If his wife had passed away, wonderful. And we thanked her and we fell on our knees and thanked the Lord and got back in the car. And you know, the coon in me came out. I thought, here, this young man told me he was willing to break up, and now he was talking like he was trying to keep her from doing it. And I thought, brother, what he needs is a good, thoroughbred, registered coon tongue lashing. And the Lord's good. The Lord that forgave them forgave me. He said, coon, how about revealing Jesus tonight instead of coon? And he caught up with me, and I said, Lord, thank you. I'm glad I didn't open my big mouth. All the way home, the Lord helped me to smother that young man with faith. I said, you know what? Your home is saved. You have a future in God's cause. I just smothered him with faith, hope, and love. When he got home, he called his wife. She came out the front room. We dedicated the home to the Lord. A little while later, my wife and I started our travels. Got a long-distance call from this young man. Pastor, are you coming anywhere near our church? Well, not, I, haven't, I don't have it on my schedule. Why? He said, well, I'm the youth leader of the church. And if you were coming near the church, I wondered if you talked to our young people. Do you know, I almost kissed him by long distance. Here was a young man who had been tearing down a life. He didn't mean to do it. He was caught by the devil in his snare, but he was still doing it. Now he, he was released by the power of the gospel. God gave him the power to hate the sin that he loved. God uninfectuated them, and God's in that business. I told that at... Southern Missionary College sometime later. And I said, folks, you can claim Genesis 3.15. God will, will give you hatred for that sin. You can't give it up. Don't try to give it up in your own strength. Somebody came to me and said, this young lady wants to see you. I said, send her in. This young lady, when she went to college that fall, she was in love with a man in, a married man in Florida. She was only waiting for the divorce to marry him. He also had two children. She had no idea of not marrying him. That week, she learned of the fabulous love of Jesus Christ. She learned that Jesus wasn't belittling her at all, but he would deliver her. He would release her from the trap of the devil. She was his princess. She went back to the girls' dormitory. She had five confidants. They were the only ones that knew. She said, girls, would you come in my room? Why don't we claim Genesis 3.15 that God will give me hatred for this sin? And they fell on their knees. They opened their Bible. They put their finger right on the promise. I like that. It, it, there's nothing magic about opening the Bible and putting our finger on the promise. Don't get that impression. But there's something simple about it. It represents childlike faith. And God loves it. Dear Lord, we ask you to help Help our friend to fall out of love with this man. And you've promised that you'll, you'll help her to hate the life. We believe it, and we claim it. Thank you, we've received it. And they went around the circle, each one praying, and she prayed and broke into tears. And when she rose, she said, Girls, I've fallen out of love. I've fallen out of love. Can I see the minister? She came in, a beautiful girl. She said, Where do I go from now, <laughs> from here? I said, Keep just as far from him as you can, because... The sexes are like magnets. 
keep us far from the magnetic field. Jesus has said, steer away from temptation. That's, a, that's probably more than 50% of the victory, staying away. How will I tell him? Send a message by somebody else. You can get a message. Don't go to see him. Stay away. Jesus has said, said to do it, and you're delivered. Happiest girl in 17 counties, so to speak. I'm speaking symbolically, of course. So happy. Not a bit happier than you are tonight, brother. Not a bit happier than young people here tonight who have come to Jesus Christ. The young lady stood here tonight. Last Friday night, she accepted forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and she's happy in him. And God is doing it everywhere. You can't fulfill conditions to answer prayer in your own strength. Don't think you can. Nobody can obey God until God changes his heart. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Therefore, instead of trying to fuss around how to keep the law, let's say, Lord, I bring my heart to you. And he said, this is what I'll do. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Lord, drop the gift of obedience with the presence of Jesus. That's how we obey. We don't obey by saying, Lord, I'm going to obey. And after I do this work, then you do the rest. That would be of works. Lord, I cannot obey. Therefore, please give me a heart transplant. And this new heart will be a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this heart, you drop with Jesus. You drop the gift of obedience. And then I say, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God, who died for me and gave himself for me. Father in heaven, we pray this evening that thou fulfill the promise to us. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Tonight, dear Lord, <clears throat> while we've spoken about sex infatuation, we pray thy Holy Spirit will make the subject so broad that any heart who is clinging to any kind of a sin and can't let go will know tonight we can claim the promise that you will put a hatred in our hearts for anything that belongs to Satan. We're asking tonight, we're believing tonight through the name, the most fabulous name that was ever placed on the lips of mankind, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the angels that are clustering around. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.